This our show, and we talk about everything, and we talk about everything. Royal Flex, the brand's own introspective insight right now. Peace, love, and all that good stuff. I am King Dev Doe, and this is Royal Flex, the brand's introspective insight talk show, the Black Wall Street Podcast. And this is a special edition. Um, I don't have China or Shannon on the show. But I got two very capable, strong black women in the building. Um, so bef- actually, Takia, <laughs> hey, like, I'm to snap. <laughs> like <laughs> who are y'all? Tell me, tell me who you are. Um, so my name is uh, Takia Butler. I am the uh, continuous improvement lead for Rochester Monroe County's anti-poverty initiative. Um, How's that United Way? Um, for three years, we have been trying to work to ensure that there is enabled uh, sustainable employment um, that is accessible to folks who are living in poverty right now, only working part-time, who deserve full-time living wages. Um, and while we do that, while we do that work, making sure that we have a system that gives them the basic needs that they uh, require so that they can begin to work to thrive. Boom. Nice. That's, that's the snapping that right That was there. like, right. <laughs> that's just it. And then Haley. <laughs> I said that was the same. <laughs> Um, my name is Haley Cox. Um, I'm currently a student. My main focus is child development. So focusing on like how children grow, um, how their environment basically affects them, poverty being one of them, um, other biological factors as well that can, you know, shape a child's development. Um, so I work with, um, little kids. I work with like one to three year olds, um, at a local, child care center i've been working basically with youth um birth to like 18 years old for about five years um in and out and recently i started working with a financial company that helps people basically get out of poverty um if you are in poverty or for the middle class who are commonly forgot about um we also help them to pretty much um, just build wealth within their family. Um, We teach them how to budget, teach them how to save, how to save for retirement, because that's something that everybody forgets about. Um, So we focus on those things and we just put together a plan that is suitable for them. And um, yeah, we just give them some education pretty much. And we are a resource. Dope, dope. Um, And I'm King Dev though, Dev for short. Uh, y'all know who I am. So uh, the word of the show is intellection. I didn't even know this is a word, but um, the action or process of understanding. And then the quote of the show is, a great deal of intelligence can be invested in ignorance when the need for illusion is deep. That's deep in itself. So, oh, that's so you, yeah, that's deep in itself. But we're going to get into the off topic right about now, I know this is off topic like a motherfucker, so I ain't gonna expound on it. But Nicki Minaj retired. What y'all got on that? Cause I don't want to start. Cause I, yeah. I mean, I guess she got it like that. <laughs> no, <laughs> she said she want to start a family. So at least that's what I saw. So I mean, I think that's a good reason to retire. Yeah, I think Man. it's interesting. Like, if somebody, I don't know. I was thinking about this today. Like, 
if the woman says she wants to start a family, right, and she hasn't been able to start a family, then that's the answer, and that's just the end of the conversation. It feels like the whole discussion is, like, whether she means it or not. Right. And so it's like, she said it, so why are we second-guessing it? Right. right. So, like, if she said it, that's She got enough money. Like, yeah. she probably got enough money to and, live for the rest of her life. And maybe she's not retiring from ever working or producing or creating, but she's retiring from rapping. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, her numbers have dwindled. Her status has changed. So it was probably a good time to bow out and dip for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Lauren Hill is eating off of, like, one and a half albums. Why y'all got a... Why y'all got a... I'm just saying. Why y'all Like, and I still play Lauryn Hill to this day. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I was Lauren in Zion National man. Park bumping Zion, feeling very black in, like, a very not black space. Lauren is dope. But, I mean, why y'all had to, like, attack that from the woman perspective? Jeez. What's the other perspective? The hip-hop culture perspective, Wait, man. Wait, hold on. So, the opposite of a woman is hip-hop? What? Who said that? You just said that. No, I just said, you know, look at it from an MC's perspective. Like, okay. like you know, when Jay retired, he had already did. He didn't retire, so. He did retire at the that's Black not Album. A, if you come back, that's not retirement. That you don't was think a, break, that was a sabbatical. Back? You don't think Nicki coming Jay-Z back? I think Jay-Z took a sabbatical. No, don't I don't think, think she's coming back. I think so. I don't think so. I think so. I think once you, you know, some, some people have the unfortunate responsibility of ushering in a new thing, and then other people get better at that thing that you did. And so sometimes, you know, there's been upgrades to the system, and now we've moved on. It's like future. So you th- you saying she can't upgrade? I'm saying that your time is finished, and you should find something new. Ooh, that's a nice way to say. No, it's really whack. important to know this. No, <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. That's not see. Uh uh-uh. uh. Uh-huh. All right, let me help go ahead and get my intellectual on, <laughs> so I can be prepared for this conversation. Oh my fix God. my eyebrows. Yo, so who do you think nice is the upgrade? Day. Who would you say is the upgrade? By upgrade, I mean like. Um, all right, so I think there's a world where Nicki Minaj did not do so much um, exacerbated, like energetic, blah blah blah. I think there's a world where she, where her, where she gave up some integrity. Mm. And so I, feel I think, you. right I feel you. Th- there, then there were more integral versions that were doing the same shit but meant that shit. Like Meg Thee Stallion looks like she means everything she fucking says. Right, and it's not like That's done with fact. It's not done with like cotton candy, like wrapped around it to like oh. make it palatable, right? Like people have selected to really want the rawest version of what she offered, and That's she did fact. it with having to maneuver and switch herself up. So there's like mm-hmm. a shell she's been walking around with that you can see on her fucking face, so you can tell she's unhappy. So I don't think she's coming back because it's a road that's not welcoming her the same way it used to. Mm. Not to mention, fact. you don't know her business with Birdman. Like there's a lot of pieces to put together, like around just her business. Mm-hmm. We're mm-hmm. like, maybe she's mm-hmm. been trying to branch out. You see her doing the radio show. You see her trying to become a personality because that was really what sold for her. That's a at fact. like a pop, pop, pop level, right? Like, cause she can rap. That's not the conversation. So a lot of motherfuckers that can rap that don't. She aight. I don't. I don't know about all that. She aight. But. Yeah, another I don't conversation. Know. That's another conversation. She but produced a music that I enjoyed listening to. Oh, yeah. No, and no, I no, said, no, those no. two things sound good next to each other. Yeah, to I each like his that. own. To mm-hmm. each his own. Yeah, but, sure. um, yeah, I just want to talk about that. I don't know no details. Mm. So I was hoping y'all brought the heat. And y'all did bring the heat, so that's cool. So <laughs> as we move on, because I don't care to talk about Nicki Minaj. Actually, mm. the last time I talked about Nicki Minaj on this show, YouTube didn't put it up. Like, they flagged my show Damn. and wouldn't put it up. Because we played, like... We played like thirty seconds of um, a song life. from the Pink Print. Mm-hmm. Is that an album? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess. So. And I was like, "Yo, that's whack." 
Oh, that's not nice. It was, See, you got to speak kind of. It was like, mm, well, it was just a critique on music. We all critique mm-hmm. music and the art of, and I just felt like it was whack. What does whack mean? Like bad. That's mean. Horrible. That's mean. I know, but okay, I mean, so. when you put your art out, people going to critique it. That's true. Is and when, nice? you, when you're uh-huh. seen as, you know, like the road dog, the ace boom coon, mm. all that stuff, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to have to produce, like, I feel like Meg is like on a wave right now, mm-hmm. and Nikki joining that wave. She tried to ride that wave, but do you I think feel that like Cardi B is manufactured? Manufactured? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think that's part of why what Nicki Minaj is a little upset at, right? Like, damn, like they're like some, they made another me, you know? What right. I'm saying? Like, and then but, like. There, so now there's another you that did it the way you did it, and then there also was another person who comes out who's even realer than both of y'all niggas. There's like but a I third like, generation. So one thing Meg has is the actual realness of her body, and mm-hmm. and the realness of her intentions, and the like realness of really her intentions, like and that's that. so. Even though Cardi didn't have the realness of her body, she has the realness of her intentions. Like Cardi mm-hmm. is Cardi, like. All the way. What you yeah, getting from Cardi is what you getting from Cardi. What you getting from Meg is what you getting from Meg. Mm-hmm. Now, I, 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 I hope. Matters. I hope that Meg. I think Meg transforms yeah. to something better because I see the potential. Yeah. But not better. I don't want to say better. Something more because I, I see the potential. She gets to be more diverse. Like she gets yes. to show up in more than one way. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The the problem with Nikki is she lost herself somewhere down the line. Like I, every time I talk to somebody about Nikki, they talk about like itty bitty piggy. Mm-hmm. or like her freestyles from back in the day mm-hmm. it asked the hungry like this is me but as she grew she lost herself and one thing if you listen back to the shows that i always say about Nicki minaj is i feel like she's trying to be somebody she's not mm-hmm. and somewhere down the line that catches up to you so mm-hmm. that's the only reason why i say like so and i have that three alone. three principles that i always say i care about grace integrity and love oh i know about it right so we've had many a conversation on a bench someplace like look you gotta understand at the end of the day and i think the importance of integrity is being authentic right and being vulnerable being willing to be who you actually are and kind of trust in the process that if you show up as a truest version of yourself that god will reward that with the things that you need right so there's like all these sort of books but there's on um, this book the alchemist and uh the general like motif is that like I when used to you, play that game, The Alchemist, the by Alchemist. the way. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you choose to live in your purpose, the universe will conspire to help you achieve it. Mm-hmm. Like, when you make that decision to live in your birthright, like, you will shine and the right shit will be attracted to you. You just got to trust that that's going to happen. And that requires authenticity. Like, you can't be clouding your own voice with a whole bunch of bullshit because people can't see through that. Mm-hmm. People are not mind readers. Mm-hmm. So integrity mm-hmm. is important. Yeah. Dope. So, with that being said, I'm done talking about Nicki Minaj. Mm-hmm. I salute you on your accomplishments and mm-hmm. your retirement. I hope you build your family and be I happy like for every morning. There you go. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> my reggae uh, Yo, you, <laughs> I'm about to have you in the booth recording my song. I was watching so the Yardie time. yesterday, and I just like I just feel like he just did a lot. So the topic today, because this is a poverty special. So we we got some poverty experts and soon to be expert specialists on the show today. <laughs> so um we're gonna get into the topic of poverty and poverty in our community because you know this is the Black Wall Street podcast, which means um the the focus is empowering our people and building that self-sustain, self-sustaining mentality that Black Wall Street was built upon. Um, so, Haley, 
actually a- approached me, um, messaged me, hit me up, and asked me to come on the show to actually talk about poverty and its effects on the community and how we can kind of come up with practical solutions to combat mm-hmm. poverty. Um, and it was just, you know, mindless to bring Taki on the show because she's a walking book is what I <laughs> how I say it. She's a walking book. So, I'll be reading um, you know, let's just engage, indulge in this conversation on poverty. Um, Haley, you already know you starting. So poverty, what what is it? What's what's what you got for us? Well, I just want to say thank you for setting this all up. Mm-hmm. I think that is dope that like there's someone in the community that gives people an opportunity to mm-hmm. to talk about these things. Like mm-hmm. these things in my mind, like I I tell my husband, I'm like, I don't know who to tell. Like I don't know how to get these thoughts out of my brain. I don't mm-hmm. know how to make them manifest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I pray and I'm like, all right, Lord, like, what do you want me to do? Like, who do you want me to talk to? Like, all I can think of is like, I ain't got no money. So <laughs> like, I can't start any like businesses at this point in my life. Um, yeah, I do believe that that's in my future, but I see like vacant buildings. I'm like, oh my God, that could be a, a learning center. That's a fact. That could be like be doing a black owned bank. Like mm-hmm. we just got all these vacant buildings. So I'm hoping, yeah, like, and I feel like it's just all, like, urban decay. Like, when I go to the suburbs, I'm like, yo, all I see is land and buildings with people in it. Like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So, uh, the first question that I want to, you know, shoot out there is, why are we in poverty? Mm -hmm. Um, And there's so many things that go into that. You know what I mean? Some people can say it's slavery, you know, some people can say, oh, it's your fault. You know, it's your fault why mm-hmm. you're in poverty. Um, people keep having kids. You know, there's so many reasons. Um, but what I believe, um, just by learning, because I'm currently in a class where w- all we talk about is poverty. Um, so I recently have started reading on this and I am seeing like the history and the data and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's starting to make sense to me. Um, and I think that our country as a whole, they have adopted this individualistic approach where it's like survival of the fittest, that Darwinism type of mentality where it's like, Mm -hmm. if you don't work for it, it's not going to happen. You know what I mean? And if you work for it, it's going to happen. But we know that some people definitely get a better start Mm -hmm. than other people. Mm -hmm. And you definitely are not going to end up in the same place. You might you might finish, you know what I mean? You might get to the end, but it's definitely probably going to take longer. You're probably going to have to work extra, extra hard. You know what I mean? You're going to have to try your best to put yourself in a position where you can get around people who are more educated and, you know, have been places you've never been, have been out of the country, you know what I mean? Have been to school. Um, if you're just you know, sitting at home, hanging out with your friends who, you know, don't want to work, mm-hmm. just want to smoke weed, want to get drunk, want to have sex, then Procreate. you're probably not going to, you're not going <laughs> to get anywhere. Um, and that goes to another idea of poverty that I, that I believe is um, a reason why more of our people are in poverty is because poverty creates a culture in a culture. Like it creates this culture of poverty where 
my parents was poor and because my parents was poor, most likely I'm going to be poor because that's all you see. And it's like, it's like a never ending cycle. It's like it's a perpetual cycle. It's yeah. like bondage. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, that's real. So those are my first thoughts. I would say I have a few things. So why you asked the question, why are we in poverty? So we have a few, I've, I've had a ton of conversations that kind of touched on um, this, almost like the state, why um, the inner city has less resources in the suburbs. Mm. Um, When you say resources, what do you mean? Like, just why we get the last bit of Mm. resources that's allocated. So, for example, um, I was looking up, I think it was education. I feel like it was education. We had a show on education, and I was looking up you know, why is there a difference between, you know, suburban education and urban education? And one of the things I came across was when communities were being formed back in the day, all the elite or people who were seen as elite stayed outside the city. Mm. And everybody who who was seen as not elite was pushed in the city. Um, And that's how they kind of gauged where all the funds, all the money, all the resources were going to. And then everything that was left over was pushed into the city with all the people who weren't elite. Yeah, I think what you're speaking about is redlining. Mm -hmm. So that was the second. So redlining meaning, well, so there's a couple of important like keywords, right? So Mm -hmm. redlining, great migration, Mm -hmm. um, economy. There's like a couple of different things Mm -hmm. here, right? So my like academic background is economics and economic development, right? So that's like the approach that I take to this conversation. Um, and then my like graduate studies is in like community and social change. Right? Mm-hmm. So the universe brings you into this space where now it's like my job is to do these two things together. Um, so when Rochester was really thriving in like the early 1900s, there were barely any black people here, mm-hmm. right? It was a primarily white city. And it's really not until, and feel free to correct me on this if I'm wrong, but like the 40s, 50s that you even start to see a trickle of black people, like 7,000 yeah. black people, right? Because of the Great Migration, you see this boom of black folks that come up here, a lot of them with agricultural backgrounds because a lot of black people first came to Sodus because there was work there, mm-hmm. right? So everybody's got a cousin that lives in Sodus. I've got cousin, like your country cousins that live out in Sodus. That's where a lot of people came first, right? So then between like that 1940, 1950s era to like 1960s, 1970s, you see this explosion of black folks, right? And while you see this explosion, we're relegated to very specific corners of the inner city, Mm -hmm. like very Mm -hmm. specific wards, right? And those wards, and there's this guy, Simeon Bannister, uh, who works at Community Foundation. He does a really good like historic presentation on this. Um, He's like, you know, Rochester born and bred, like into the history and he talks about how um depending on where you were coming from so if you were coming from like georgia south carolina florida you ended up on the east side and if you were coming from like north carolina like more like northern southern states you ended up on the west side so the beginning of the east side west side beef is like partly related to the great migration it's crazy Right. And so let me start by stating my family's mad east side. Right. So like South Carolina, Georgia, big Georgia energy. Right. So like very entrepreneurial, very get out and get it. And there's something to be said to that, to your point around how um, 
how your conditioning becomes conditioned because you're yeah. living in poverty, right? So like this yeah. multi generational poverty that right. like you continue to it's like you don't you build habits of survival as opposed to habits of thriving. Exactly. You struggle to um, build certain behaviors because there's nobody around you doing them. You lack social capital that's diverse enough to teach you a lot of different options, and so you just continue to do the options that are in front of you, right? right? So I'm watching Snowfall. Right? I was talking, talking to y'all about that earlier, and it's just so interesting to watch. You know, there's this part of black history that we don't talk about, like the 1980s. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like, here's the story. Like, we were slaves. Then y'all wasn't. And y'all kind of was shining for a little bit. But then racism, our bad. And then, like, y'all was trying to get free. <laughs> so then MLK came through and we was like, all right, y'all shot him. Like, all right, we got to chill. We got to figure this out. So then we gave y'all some civil rights or whatever. But we ain't renewed them shits like a couple of years ago. And don't ask us about that shit. Um, but anyway, though, so y'all got free. And then y'all was on y'all Black Panther stream. And we was like, chill, 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 chill. And then it was a little bit of gun rights. Because the only time we do gun rights is when black people was buying guns. And then... Then y'all started doing like entertainment shit. Then it was just like y'all was playing baseball and y'all was in the sports and y'all was mm-hmm. integrating. You know what I mean? Look at y'all playing sports, being strong. Mm-hmm. And then Whitney Houston <laughs> and then Michael Jackson and then crack. Yeah. <laughs> and then Obama. Like that's yeah. black people. That's like our that's like how America tells our history. It's very ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Right? So I feel like there are all these key points where um, we forgot that the real issue was that black folks came into bigger and larger cities with very limited skill sets, not able to get the access to employment or to live in communities where they could build the relationships necessary to get access to that employment. Exactly. Right? Because people put their cousins on, people put their family on, people connect people Nepotism. they care about to opportunities mm-hmm. because they want them to thrive when you're not individualistic, right? When you see somebody as a part of your same group, as a part of your tribe, you're going to do everything you can to support them. That's just how people operate. Right. Now, if we saw everybody as our tribe if we saw it as when I hurt you I hurt myself if that was a dynamic in the undercurrent of our relationship if that was the culture for everybody we'd be having a different conversation because yeah. the re- Ubuntu mm-hmm. right so the reality is like for so long as I don't think you deserve what I deserve then it right. doesn't matter that you're struggling right so there's lots of people that poverty boils down to I don't have enough resources to pay for the things that I need to survive the, the things that I want at the quality in which I want them yeah. right so it's not that there are poor folks who are living in these affordable housing projects, but them shits are low fucking quality. And when are we going to have the conversation? When are we as a community decide that this is our threshold for what people deserve? Mm-hmm. That everybody deserves a right to actively participate in the same market. Because what's happened is we've created a secondary market that's heavily subsidized for people who can't afford to participate in the real one. So y'all got stainless steel counters and we dealing with fucking laminate wood. Yeah. That look like stainless steel. Like right. look like granite and, and stuff. Because you got a, a couple million dollars from HUD, and so you flip that into a cheap ass building that, like on paper, look expensive, but it was cheap. Yeah, right. right? It was cheap, and the way the whole structure is set up, the way the tax benefits work, benefits work. Fifteen years from now, I'm not about to reinvest in that property because it doesn't bring me any profit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The real reality is, pay people money so I can make my own choices to actively participate in the market. Yo, yeah. look how much money we spent for Popeyes. I ain't spending that money. Just look, so, well, I bought a sandwich and it I was not good. Enough. And I feel like I asked for a spicy uh, and it wasn't spicy. <laughs> and I really honestly wanted to hire the lady at the register because the way she Yo. handled herself was just so like amazing. Like she just took a deep breath when somebody was yelling at her and like looked him in his eye and was like, I don't appreciate being spoken to like that. How can I help you? I was like, oh, verbal uh-huh. judo. <laughs> verbal judo. Verbal judo. Look I've been that. doing that by the like, way, ever since we talked. I felt about like that. you know when like uh, I think it was Players Club or like when like an old dude comes to the strip club and he was like, "Girl, you know you don't gotta work here. I got a better life for you someplace else." That's what I felt like. Like yo, you know you don't gotta work here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, anyways, 
So poverty is when I don't have enough, right? So think about you. So you you work with helping folks with their budgeting, right? So you know every budget has an income side and an expenses side, right? Yeah. So there's the money you get in, and then there's the money you have to put out. Mm-hmm. Well, so poverty is when I have weight. My expenses are heavier. Like imagine it's a scale, right? And yeah. My expense side is heavier than my income side, right? And so I can't afford things at market rate. Exactly. And so what we do as a community is we offer these transfer payments, which you call benefits. So welfare, yep. um, subsidies, whatever, right? Section yep. eight, however you want to think about it, to offset the cost, right? But nobody double checks the quality because there's this mindset of everybody who's not poor that poor people don't deserve high quality. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like unworthy versus worthy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So there's a stigma around even getting help. And let's keep it real. The thresholds that we use right now have never been adjusted since like 1963, right? So Molly Orshanky, this random lady that works in like a, a federal department, comes up with a formula because nobody can think of a formula. I spent like two weeks ago like reading all the original documents. I j- listen, yeah. I was literally going to say the same thing. Yeah, and we've never it's adjusted based it for on the food. cost of living. Exactly. And it was just based on one basic need, right? So let's say your basic needs are housing, transportation, child care, food, and health care, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say those are your ba- your basic, basic needs, right? That would be one side of your budget. That would be all the money you have to spend on those things. And yeah. the more kids you have, the more people in the house, those numbers are going to change. They're going to fluctuate, right? So there's no one, like, number for poverty, right? Because it depends on your family size, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So Molly at least figures out a formula that accounts for that. But when you don't adjust for inflation, which is the cost of money, right? Because the money inflates over time. So a $1963 isn't the same as a $2019. They're they're different measures, right? And so we're not accounting for the real legitimate cost in every community to actually live there. So the real issue is income inequality. Yeah. That's the real issue. There are some people who can afford to pay that and can afford it, like their ability to afford it at whatever price you put it allows them to pay ridiculous prices for things that jack the market up. So you'll see when I lived in Miami, right? I lived there for like five years. And, um, there were all these, it was right after the recession. I moved there in 2011. And all the way down Biscayne Boulevard, there were all these beautiful, like, 60-something floor, like, mm-hmm. high-rises, right? And at night, you would drive down, and there would only be, like, two lights on. And the reason is because a bunch of Brazilians, Russians, Chinese, like, Chinese folks were buying all these properties and leaving them empty. Like, they were just investing in real estate. So because they were investing ridiculous amounts of money, it was so expensive to live there because they jacked the price of the market up. Mm. Crazy. So you can't have mixed communities because people get bought out of communities. It used to be before you had like private cars, before you had, because there's an urban economics component to this too, right? So before you had like cars so where you could go from work all the way out to the suburbs to live someplace, we all had to live near each other. So you lived, worked, and played no more than like a mile away from each other. Mm-hmm. That was right. your community, right? right? And so with that, different people of all different sorts of incomes lived there. It was a lot harder to be economically segregated. That's the problem. And the problem is that black people are like the canaries in the coal mine. It happens to us first. Mm -hmm. Nobody cares. And then it starts happening to your poor ass cousin in the Appalachian Mountains. And then you're like, oh, wait, hold on a second. Because Becky Becky had promise. And I don't understand. She had promise. Well, the kid in the hood had promise, too. And you didn't care. That's the problem. You care about everybody that you think is a part of your group. And you don't think I'm a part of your group. Yeah. That's deep. That's, that's um, deep. that's that's who they are though. Nah, that's not who they are. That's how they've been conditioned. Oppression oppresses the oppressor too. Mm-hmm. Everybody broken. Mm-hmm. So the second we show grace to each other and ourselves is the second we can move forward. So we've all failed. Like nobody's perfect in this. There's there's reality to 
folks having the opportunity to get out and squandering that opportunity or putting them self-sabotaging themselves. That's a real thing that some people need to deal with. There's families that have continued to abuse each other because all they've ever known is abuse right. and have knocked the light out of kids. Mm-hmm. Like that's real. And so people do have to take personal responsibility and admit their own failures and their decisions. Yeah. I've had to do that for myself too. But then there's a bigger system we live in, mm-hmm. right? And so part of the changing the system is changing ourselves, and we're not the only part of the system, so everybody got to change. I think it was on one of Dave Chappelle's Netflix specials. He was like, we can't change the system until everybody says what they did. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone admit to how they contributed to the problem. And until that happens, we can't change the shit. So our first practical solution is Kuji Jagalia, self-determination, self-reflection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I've never thought exploration of exploration. Yeah, self uh, reflection. I like that. Yeah, if you yeah. read the definition, it's all self reflection. Yeah. Yeah. Who I am. And name um, myself, label myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's myself. Important. Introspection. Mm-hmm. What are my own um, um, emotional, mental thought processes? But that goes back to your word of the, of the show, right? This intellection, like understanding how you understand. A lot of people make a lot of assumptions. They make a lot of conjectures. So there's this um, word heuristics, right? Which is like how you um, like. Every day our brain makes thousands of decisions. Like when you're going to wake up, you're going to brush your teeth, you're going to use the bathroom, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. These are all little decisions. And so our brain, today. Exactly. So <laughs> our brain creates routines mm-hmm. so that then we don't have to make so many decisions. So you let you put your shoes here, you put your keys here, you blah, blah, blah. That way, you know, you don't have to think And about when they're not in that space. You be all fucked up. Oh, my goodness. So that <laughs> moment is a moment of cognitive dissonance. That's a moment where what you expected to happen didn't happen, Mm -hmm. and you Mm -hmm. respond in that moment. It's Mm -hmm. almost like the same way that you can be in physical danger is the same way you can feel physical, like mental danger. So, so when someone tells you, "Yo, you're wrong," right? (laughs) It's a it's a moment of cognitive. What the fuck you mean I'm wrong? Like when I did it, I thought I was right. Exactly, I'm wrong. Exactly. In that moment, you gotta learn how to see failure as just an error signal, not a statement of your character. So the problem is not that white people are bad people. The problem is that you've been doing dumb shit. That's actually mad fucking counterproductive to everybody and you're wasting fucking time. You've been operating within a space of comfort. But you're not even comfortable. Because ain't none of that shit to answer anyways. You ain't happy. It's it's a bunch of, the middle class is vanishing. Yeah. And there are a bunch of people who only think they're good because they're better than somebody else. Mm -hmm. And the second you stop standing on the neck of other people is the second you can fly need to fly out here spread them wings <laughs> drink a red bull yeah. it gives you wings so my question is what i've been thinking about is i feel like like you said like welfare and like programs that are set up to counteract poverty instead of just increasing the wage or paying people what they're actually worth like i know earlier dev you were saying about how much you were getting paid. And I was thinking to myself, like, wow, that's a lot. I never had a job that paid me that much. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I hear you say, like, I want to be good. You know what I mean? Like, I want to have a nice foundation. Um, So it's it's, what I was reading about is this capitalist um, Mm -hmm. approach that we have Mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, if you can buy land and you can have a business, Mm -hmm. then – you're going to most likely you're going to be better than someone who is who you have to pay. Right. Because the person who is working for you is never going to really get paid with what they're worth. You know what I mean? Well, At some gonna point, turn there's going to be a cap. Yeah, there's going to be a cap. They can right. only pay you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're better out going to start a business. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because you're keeping all the profit. 
you don't have to you don't have to work for somebody else. Right. And then they turn around and say, oh, actually, uh, we don't need you anymore. You know what I mean? You might be making twenty one dollars an hour and they're like, oh, I'm good. But they would rather fire you <laughs> and give someone else your job that they can pay less. Yeah. Just to, you know, <coughs> Rochester City save, District just did that. Save the cost. I'm sorry. What did you say? RCSD just did that. Just did what? Um, they offered early retirement to a lot of teachers so they can bring in more teachers to pay less mm-hmm. to save. That's how Teacher America works. To to save, um, basically save money because the budget was crazy. That's all I say. Mm-hmm. Wow. But yeah, it's 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 real out here. So, um, so I used to work for this. Uh, I worked for a place that I won't name, right? And my job was to build this institute um, to figure out how to teach teachers to be better teachers, right? So mm-hmm. how to like um, build build teacher capacity in a way that was like collaborative. And right, so my what I do for a living is help people figure out like what's your north star, like what's the vision, right? Like what's the world you want to create, right? Mm-hmm. And then what's the world you live in? And then between those two things, we create creative tension, right? So like there, that's the energy that continues to push you towards like something, right? And my job is to get you there as quickly as possible, mm-hmm. right? So that's what like continuous improvement is. But the only way to get there is to be able to learn. And so you have to be learning against something, right? Like I'm trying to learn an object, an objective. I'm trying to get better at something, be proficient. And so I would ask, like, yo, what's the purpose of education? Because at the end of the day, we're making these better teachers because we want to have a better educational outcome for students. Well, so what's the educational outcome? No one could agree. Wow. Is it making better citizens? Is it people who can count? Is it um, people who know how to file their taxes? Is it worker bees? Like, what are you making? What's the, what are, what's the outcome? There's no agreement in education on what success looks like. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it's just a whole bunch of bullshit. Mm-hmm. So until there's a goal... Everybody's just gonna be circling all over the place. It's just the nature of shit. Trying to get data points right. Right. Like education is ran off of data points. Yeah. This is the point that you have to hit. So get coach your te- your students up to so hit this data hit point. The, right. It's not. I just did a training last Thursday, and the the basis of it was I've I've done two trainings in the RCSD. Mm-hmm. One. So they have tier behaviors. So tier one, tier two, tier three behaviors and how you intervene with those behaviors. Mm -hmm. And I switched it to staying in tier one and created um, highlighting preventative uh, practices, um, practical solutions to prevent behaviors before they get to tier two and tier three. Um, because like de-escalation, yes, mm-hmm. or just seeing it before it happens. So if you know, if I know you, if I y- y'all two are my, um, you two are my students, mm-hmm. and I know both of you individually, not as a group individually, then I know what makes you tick. So if I know what makes you tick, then I can actively prevent thing you from getting to a tier two or tier three behavior. Yeah. In the district, all they do is teach teachers how to how to pinpoint. Um, negative behaviors. Mm. So it's a very punitive system to where, well, if this happens, then you need to, this is where this is where the student goes. If the student runs out the building, then you create an elopement plan. If the student does this, this, and this, then you create an IEP. It's very it's reactive. So, um, why do you think it's what? Not only does it sound reactive, but it's very systematic. Yes. Yeah. Right. So why do you think it's so systematic? Because it feels like it doesn't leave y'all room to like be agile. Like, so it goes, thoughtful. it goes back into, I mean, our conversation on poverty and where people come from and work, 
working within a system. So like a lot of the times the teachers, not all teachers, but most teachers don't understand the youth in which they, where they, they service, from. where yeah. they come from, their story, their all they do, their struggle, all they do is read a piece of paper or they see, I literally seen this this week, like kindergartner mm-hmm. in front of the um, assistant principal, I think. And she's talking to the kindergartner and she turns to the principal and says, hmm, I hear a little stutter, maybe speech. Mm, like talking to a kindergartner. Now, I've been interacting with this kindergartner for some time now, and I'm not a speech pathologist or anything, mm-hmm. but the fir- their instinct is to diagnose these kids. Right, with something. With something, so anything. then they can get them. Because there's this inherent belief that they're wrong. Exactly. Right. Or that, they're or that there's they're something wrong with them. them. And this is something <laughs> that it's not, I'm, it's not saying that this person is a bad person. Mm-hmm. It's just how they operate within the system. Well, it's not about being good or bad, right? It's about seeing. It's about humanizing and dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. So, um, Paulo Freire wrote *Pedagogy of the Oppressed*, right? It's like a really classic book. You can find it anywhere on the internet for free. And it talks a lot about how about education as a means of liberation, mm-hmm. right? And so he's this Brazilian like educator, psych, like psychologist, however you want to call him. And he talks about the banking model in current education. Like you just dump stuff in people's head, and then you pull out a receipt to see the amount balance, like. Do they, I put in $1,000 worth of information, have I gotten $1,000 worth out, right? As opposed to um, Makes sense. actual, like, experiential, like, transformative learning where, like, the teacher and the student are one and the same and you discover and learn together. Mm-hmm. And there's a respect and honor for what you know and who you are and, like, a celebration of your humanity and a rewarding of you showing up as your best self. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that requires a lot more room for thoughtfulness about you. That requires rooms to not have 20-something kids in them. Like, it requires, like, the ability to build, like, intimate relationship and know and understand to have, like, tacit understanding to have wisdom. Mm-hmm. And you can't have that. You can't even begin to build that if somebody is giving you this regimented way of making decisions. Right. Yeah. It's just not agile enough. Right. Yeah. Um, and y'all ain't paid enough. That's another conversation. That's another conversation. Um, but, yeah, so uh, that was the first training and in, in, in terms of just being able to identify preventative ways to – prevent this behavior as opposed to waiting for this behavior to happen which they're trained to do and then intervening while if anybody blacks out there's no stopping that person there's no reasoning with that person until they come back down to a a level of reasoning um and then the second one was meaningful relationships so building meaningful relationships Mm -hmm. within the classroom with the individual as opposed to with the class and um it again that goes back to understanding who you are first which that's how i started um, which we was talking about it earlier, mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons why the teacher cried um, during <laughs> the, the training. But understanding who you are first, reflecting on who you are first, so then you can put onto your students what you already understand. So right. if you understand yourself, then you understand you can better understand where these kids come from individually exactly. and not as a whole, because each yeah. student has their own. Walk. story to tell yeah. walk of life yeah so i'm sitting um so a large part of my job is um creating the conditions for change right yeah and so there's these like areas in which you can um have people practice new skills right and when they practice new things then you can start to kind of be like okay is this is a new level of awareness for you right like this is some new shit you ain't never done this before you ain't never, you ain't never been here before huh right and they're like yeah i have it this is crazy and you're like all right cool so are you willing to change that belief you had that this wasn't possible 
Right. Right. Like that's what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there's areas in which you can change people's thought process. And it's in the theory, like underlying what they believe, like the shit under the iceberg. Like, so as opposed to looking at people's weaknesses, do you look at their strengths? Are you practicing asset based community development? Like the first thing I'm going to ask you is what you're good at, not what your flaws are. The first thing I'm going to do is try and see where you shine, not see where your darkness is and then call you by your darkness. Like I'm going to call you by your light, like the things that I see in you that are good. Right. So you started with the theory. Then there's like the methods and tools and like how you go about doing it, right? Mm -hmm. So we use this like um, results-based accountability. So it's like at the end of the day, did you do the thing you said you was going to do? If it ain't that, then we don't care. And the last area is um, the infrastructure that like you can change the way you do things or the structure you build around you in order to produce the outcomes that you want. And you're never going to keep structure just because you said you was going to have structure. So if you don't need a board, don't have a board. If you don't need working groups, don't have working groups, blah, blah. So I'm switching one of the ways one of these groups works together into like a community of practice, right? Which is all these people who do the same work, sharing the knowledge that they have around a particular issue, right? So they share their strengths, they share their weaknesses, and they learn from each other, creating this like shared understanding that then they go back out into the world and make decisions with that shared understanding because now you've heard it from all these different perspectives and gotten tools to help you. It builds trust, it builds community, right? It's this community of practice. And so one of the women is like, Wait, so this is when, like, the service provider is like, this is about, um, like, me changing, like, my organization? And I was like, yeah, because y'all the system. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. she's like, well, that's going to, people aren't going to want to change. And I was like, all right, look. Because oh, I've been, goodness. like, I've been struggling with, um, like, talking about, like, my faith in my work. Because it's so rooted in faith. Like, all of this change takes, like, faith in something that you can't see. Right. Like, of course it's mad easy to be it's rude and unkind all. in a world that, like, is rude and unkind. Like, and that's the problem with capitalism, right? It says some one person is zero sum. Like, is winner takes all. Right. Like, there's never a situation where we share. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's the, to share is to lose. And, like, that's the problem. Right. There's this, like, assumption that there's never enough and we got to fight against each other for it as opposed right. to, like, yo, trust that God will give you what you need to thrive so long as you live in your purpose. Yeah. Like, that's why you got to start with knowing yourself because I show up in the world as a reflection of myself, not yeah. as a response to you. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I am who Ooh. I am because that's who I am. That's it. Facts. Right? So the sooner we get organizations to operate like that, the better. So, anyway, so I'm struggling with this, with talking about my faith, but I was like, you know, forget it. So I'm like, look. You got, this is a continuum, right? You got fear over here and you got faith. Mm. And you're just going to have to decide which one you're going to live in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not about to go back and forth with you it's about who don't want to change. If you don't want to change, then you don't got enough faith and this ain't the room for you. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to build a room of fear because you scared. That doesn't make sense. Like the whole role is to, I have like these annual goals every year. And um, one of my focuses this year is to be like light in desolate arenas, like to shine, like to be like, no, we're not doing that dark shit anymore. We're not, like, dehumanizing people. We're not throwing people to the side. We're not canceling people. We're not treating people like shit because that's the root of the problem. So we're not doing that here. And if you can begin to change that and create a space where people practice kindness, then that gives them the belief that it's possible. Yeah. And when you see people being kind on purpose, you're encouraged to do the same. Yeah. And I really genuinely think that's the root of poverty. I really genuinely think that. I think that and then you should just pay people more. Like, to just be, like, you know, just to get out the clouds. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you should just pay people more. Just pay people more. At the end of the day, all this money that we allow to live is distributive injustice. Who gets the benefits and who gets the burdens? Even, I was just actually talking about um, college because I've been on this, like, I've been in this space of growth to where I, I, I'm needing more growth now. Mm-hmm. Um, just from where I'm going, where I see myself going, my vision, for everything that I'm trying to do, I need more growth. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily to 
to go to a job and say, here, I have my bachelor's or here, I have my master's. But for me to go out and find, jumpstart the process of understanding what it is that um, I want, what it is that I need, what it is that I really expounding on the thoughts and the, the knowledge that I have already mm-hmm. um, and whatever. And I was just talking to one of my coworkers um, and she was talking about, so I have this thing where I'm, I'm not paying for school anymore. Like it's either, it's, it's, it's one of the, one of the things. It's I'm either, waiting for the student book um, first. Yeah. So it's either <laughs> I'm getting scholarships. I can pay my way myself or I'm, I, somebody just gonna sponsor me like one of the three but i'm not taking i'm not doing this financial sugar aid baby. thing sugar is that baby, kind of sponsorship sugar. yeah whatever yeah. I can, patron something i can mm-hmm. whatever if you're gonna pay my way you know what i'm saying <laughs> um and she was talking about how you know her son was got the into Patrona? morehouse oh, okay. and how he couldn't afford it and then mm-hmm. it was some organization like that's supposed to help mm-hmm. maybe it was i don't want to say United Way or oh Urban League, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yo, Urban yeah. League mm-hmm. was supposed they called because he was a black scholar or whatever mm-hmm. so they called to try to get scholarships and the dude was like well maybe he shouldn't go to um, Morehouse because he can't afford it and the the idea that all this money is out here so we then we started talking about how all this money is out here and can't you can't really it. take no as a answer yeah. like even with the schools call the schools because they have a buku ton load buku load of money. Oh, when and I went to watch you. They definitely was like, "Hey, this is the person you go to. You cry, yeah, bit, like, and then he gonna give you a grant. right." So, and then <laughs> it, the it went into like when I got in, when I applied for St. John's University at high school, they denied me. I wrote a letter. They sent they sent an acceptance letter and twenty thousand dollars on top of that. Like, even though they told me I had to find twenty thousand dollars more in a week, but it's just it goes into the the fact that all this money is out there. But, but they make they it so hard hoarded. to get it. Yeah, they well, hoard it. They make college it so hard is to... mad heavily subsidized by the federal government, oh my which goodness. has allowed the tuition cost to balloon. They have built little cities on these campuses. These it's campuses crazy. operate. Ohio like University, Akron. Um, is it Akron, Ohio? Akron, Ohio. No, not Akron, Ohio. Um, wherever Ohio University is, mm-hmm. that whole town is Ohio University. Listen, it's happening like, in Rochester. I feel like that, U of yeah, R has zip code. U of R. U of R took over all of Plymouth. Like that whole strip the, exactly. of Plymouth. And I'm just net. like, why do they <laughs> charge people fifty thousand? Right. Fifty thousand? They are over my Like every year you gotta get fifty thousand from one person. And some people's parents write checks. That is Let's ridiculous. talk about systemic I'm racism. I'm just like, where is all the money going? Let's though? talk about structural where and systemic is all racism. The money going? Because the assets that your generations have built to be able to allow you to afford to take the second mortgage out to pay for your kids' college, to write the check. Hello? That house money came from that house that you were able to buy because your grandpappy fought in a war and got a GI bill and got yes. the ability to purchase a house that oh my grandpappy my couldn't. And he fought in the same war right next to your ass. Oh, my God. Facts. There's all these times and places where black people were explicitly excluded, excluded. from economic opportunity. For whatever reason. And then those things built assets mm-hmm. that turned Generation. into wealth. Yeah. And, goes, go, and then going back to redlining, they drew the red lines to where banks couldn't be in the inner yeah. city and, or where, so, like, um, stores or anything that will help the community prosper. Well, the stores so follow you, where people live, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why they now move out to the suburbs and everybody moves out to the suburbs. Wegmans did that. Wegmans is like a... Well, did you guys know that, that five-star bank was a, a redlining bank? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, and now they, they have the grant some, program yeah. in the city of Rochester because of that. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I actually went through that program and I was in the process of getting it. And I was like, and I found that out. And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know if I want to go through Five Star Bank now. I mean, they're investing in some other, um, some other yeah. revitalized Rochester stuff too. I mean, that, that gets back to grace, right? Like yeah. where and how, and, and I'm not saying forgive people. What I'm saying is know what your threshold for forgiving is. Yeah. Like what do they have to do to redeem themselves? Mm. Hmm. I don't know what the well, answer is. I don't know. So go off of what you saying. Uh, we're saying, Dev, though, about um, just self reflecting and how I don't. I because I'm in the area of like early childhood mm-hmm. and like child development. I see like a drastic change between early childhood development and when you get into like grade school. Mm-hmm. It's like completely different. What's like, the change? Like, so with early childhood, like if you're in a daycare center, they have a whole organization called NACI. Mm-hmm. And um, basically that that organization has done wonders for basically teaching caregivers how to care for children. Mm-hmm. So, okay. and they basically, like it's like caregiver, a... caregiver, like a family member? Like yeah, so like... Well, yes. So they do a lot of things basically within the center. So that's how daycare centers are getting qualified these days. So if you want to be known as like a a good daycare and Mm -hmm. like qualified and, you know, you you provide quality to the kids in your daycare, you want to get NACI certified. So you have to basically, you know, change some things up, change up curriculum. You know what I mean? Work it so that it it is in the best interest of the child. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have certain protocols, certain practices in place that incorporates the parent into, you know, the center. And um, so with that, it and, it and it really talks about self-reflecting. It basically teaches you how to be a good person so you can be around kids. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I feel like it, it takes a lot in order to, to take all that in. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like you can't just, you know what I mean? Like if a child is, say a child is biting mm-hmm. and we can say, oh, the child is biting or or maybe someone's biting him at home. You know what I mean? Like that's oftentimes what we say. Oh, if he's doing, he must be learning it at home. But we don't think that, okay, well, maybe the child is nervous. Maybe there's too many kids around him. Maybe the, the child don't know how to talk, but this child is taking the toy from him and that's all he knows how to do is bite. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of have to figure out what is the problem. You know what I mean? Like, why is the child biting? Mm-hmm. Let me try to change some things around to to see if there's there's the environment is a reason. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the child just wants attention. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Maybe this child gets left alone to play by himself too many times. So, but it's like once you go into the school, like you get into kindergarten, mm-hmm. it's completely different. Militaristic. It's It's completely different. It's like... The, the teachers are just like, oh, the child's bad. Like, it's just bad. I, you know what I mean? So like, it's automatically bad. And mm-hmm. there's no, there's no like, well, let me change what I'm doing. Or let me, let me try to change the classroom. There's no self so that It's, you know what I mean? It's more suitable to the child. So when I was trying to build this institute, right, one of the key parts of the strategic plan that suggested was um, organizational slack. And so basically what it means is like, you're not, Say you have a hundred, a hundred percent health bar when you come in on Monday, right? 
the work that you do should really only take up probably about 65 to 70% of that bar mm. because you need time in your day to think yeah. about yes. how to do it better, how to process what you experience, That's how it. to take the notes, how to like just have downtime. Yeah. When we put too much on a teacher's block, they don't even have the opportunity to reflect. Right. So, um, there's these academic medical centers and one of my close friends is a, uh, was an attending there. Um, and I was trying to get his feedback because we were using that model to build this institute. And so he was like, yo, honestly, the biggest issue is I don't have time to do my attending work because I'm always taking care of the residents or I'm checking on this or I'm managing this. Like there's so much more outside of my job description that I don't even have room to process. Yeah. So it's important from a structural level in terms of infrastructure to actually build in time for people to think. Right. Yeah. And not be overburdening them with things. So when you're overburdened with students and you're overburdened with with, with the curriculum itself, when you got to manage all these things that's towards true. this point, you don't even have time to be reflexive that's or to true. even think about it. And then, that's you know, true. that's not even dealing with racism and conditioning and how we and so it, how we blame people before we take reflect on ourselves. Yeah. But a, you don't even have the room to do it. Yeah. As a teacher, I find myself because I'm more focused on the reflecting and building relationships. I find myself slacking on like paperwork. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a lot of paperwork yeah. that you have to fill out, like attendance, daily care sheets, mm -hmm. whole bunch of paperwork because that's regulations. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so it's almost like you need more bodies. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you need two teachers at least to a classroom, regardless if the ratio is four to one. Mm -hmm. You can have four kids with one teacher. Um, that's for my age group, but for like kids, who are like six, you can have like 10 mm -hmm. or like 11. Now so imagine one person it's 10 to one. Imagine. and they talk it and, then and run it is 15 to one. Yes. Now imagine if there was a world where parents also didn't have to work wild hours to make ends meet and could be a part of educating their own children. Come on. Like imagine if they could actively participate in the education process, right. just be civically engaged, period. But they can't because they work in two, three jobs to make ends meet. So Rochester is like has one of the highest incidents of children living in poverty in the country. I think it's second to Hartford, Connecticut. And we go back and forth. We like dance around each other. Right. Almost 90 something percent of those kids that are living in poverty are living in homes that are led by single women. Yeah. Right. So mm -hmm. single women, we already have wage gap issues with women getting paid pennies to the man's dollar, let right. alone black women who get paid the least. Intersectionality. Right. So, and the a great majority of that group within the city of Rochester is black women, right? Black and brown women, right? Women of color. Women of color. So we don't get paid enough. We got to work multiple jobs. Half the jobs that pay well are discriminatory or not good cultural spaces for women, let alone <laughs> black women who have reputations of being the sapphire, the angry black woman, or the Jezebel, or the blah, blah, all these things you see in me before I even open my mouth, right? Like the culture isn't even built for me and doesn't even allow me to persist. Same thing mm -hmm. in nonprofits, mm -hmm. right? It's not no different. So the, the system in itself pushes me out of it. Mm. Not to mention welfare and, right. and our, all the ways we used to subsidize it didn't allow men to live in the house. The original mm -hmm. charity was for widows. Yeah. So the whole structure we have when we think about who needs help is based on a poor woman who, who doesn't have a man who can't do for herself. It's so archaic and like misogynistic at its core. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just all jacked up. Like, yeah. So we have to start having different conversations about what it means to enable single women who are leading households to be able to not only feed their children, but participate in their communities. Yeah. Um, we was actually kind of talking about that earlier in, in the, the, the attack on the black family structure. Mm. Um, 
and when I was doing my training last week, um, and that was kind of one of the the I don't know segues of the conversation when mm -hmm. the teacher kind of asked the question, um, the teacher that cried asked the question, um, about why did I feel the need to um establish that I was in front of a bunch of white women in the room. Mm -hmm. And that led me to actually identify and why why I felt the need to identify that it was a majority white women in the room. And she also felt that I was alluding to wanting more black men to take their spots. Mm -hmm. So um, that led me to talking about the attack on the black family structure, the Willie Lynch letter. And I asked them, I posed a question of when they, <laughs> if they read, <laughs> if they yeah. read the Winnie, Willie Lynch letter Escalade. and they said no. Escalade. So <laughs> that right there alone, I was like, yo, that's arguably the, the greatest plan ever written because it's still in action in effect today. I, like I was supposed to say that it's in dispute whether or not it exists, that the person was like real, but they don't know that the letter exists. <laughs> so I just feel like this needs an asterisk yeah. so that, you know, the conversation continues. Right, right, right. Um, And then on the, on the, the flip side, yeah, the theory is real. And then on the flip side, I had to actually put into context where the black woman um, falls because I ended up talking about intersectionality mm -hmm. and how in the financial economic structure or spectrum of people, you have the white man on top um, and then you have Asians, Asian man, um, I think it's the Asian woman next. What are you talking about? And Pay, then like average wages? Yeah, wages gotcha. of mm -hmm. um, people. Mm -hmm. So you have, obviously, the white man controls everything, brings in the most money. And then you have the Asian man, Asian woman, don't quote me on that, correct me if I'm wrong. And then you have the white woman. And then you have the black man. And then the black woman is like. Well, there's like, there's like uh, uh, Latinx, like La Latino, yeah. and Latino. Like there's In short. The black woman is not even. It's not. But so here's next the, the here's black the thing, man. right? So they had a, a uh, um the women black women's pay gap day like wage really? day was like a couple of weeks ago. Yes, yeah, so wow. they had like a. I never heard of that. Rochester. Mm -hmm. So um. Is that the one where they had all the skirts on? No, nah, they all wore red. It was at the union that's on um East Ave. It must have been um, different. Yeah, I forgot the union offices. Um, and so. The thing about that whole like breaking it down by race, we have to be so my background is in economics, specifically like statistics, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm real thoughtful about how we use numbers and how like we use numbers to tell stories. So mm -hmm. you there's this thing called like a ladder of inference, like so you'll see something on a table or you'll see something and then you start to make all these inferences in ways that you make sense of it, which goes back to your word of the show, right? This in, in intellection, right? Like mm -hmm. how you yeah. make sense of things. Yeah, so you I'm take good data. At picking words. Yeah. 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 You let God flow through you, you know, you know what I'm saying? saying? Not to you, you know, uh, just be a vessel, just be a vessel. So <laughs> don't worry about it, just be a vessel. Yeah, that's so, <laughs> so um, you start out by seeing these, this data. So let's say you have a stapler on your desk and one day you come in in the morning, it's like your stapler, like you bought that shit from home, like it's mad cute, it like it's automatic, like, you know what I mean? Cute it's just stapler. Shit. Yeah, because, you know, I, I read a lot of, I use a lot of paper. I got my own stapler that I travel with, you know what I'm saying? Like I brought my own. Don't touch my cute stapler. It's red, it'd be like, you know, like when I put shit in it. So anyways, um, imagine I come there one day and my stapler is gone, right? And I'm like, yo, where's my stapler, right? And so what I noticed, the first thing I saw was that the data was that something wasn't there that is normally there. So then I, that turns into information and my stapler is gone, right? Like I make this conclusion that something like is different, right? So then I start saying to myself, well, who would take my stapler, right? 
And then I started thinking, oh, old girl such and such. She always was, like, touching my shit, right? See, that's what I'm saying. That's her problem. That's why I can't be working here. You know what? I'm about to go turn in my resignation right now because I don't even want to be working with people be stealing people's staplers. Little do you know you took it someplace last night and it's in the car. Mm-hmm. Right? So you have to be really cognizant of how you draw conclusions on conclusions on conclusions that turn into actions. Yeah. So that data turns into information. That information turns into knowledge. And that knowledge turns into understanding. And from understanding, you get wisdom. And wisdom is like actionable knowledge, like what I'm going to do with what I just saw. Right. So you're a wise person doesn't have to go through the same shit twice. Facts. Right. Because That's they're capable fact. of like learning the fucking lesson and moving on. <laughs> it's very difficult for us sometimes to learn how to move on, like learn the lesson, let the shit go and move forward. Yeah. Right? We can get stuck in ways because we're afraid. And so when we really are talking about system change and white folks thinking differently, black folks differently, thinking differently, everybody thinking differently. It's like, yo, like this shit is not working. Everybody got to think. And it's going to start with black people and it's getting to y'all. Yeah. You, all of your value is wrapped up in shit you can't afford. You think we holding all this debt? It ain't that many of us to be, (laughs) we not all the debt. We ain't all the debt. I be seeing y'all get kicked out of y'all houses too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Y'all can't afford to live over there either. You know what I'm saying? Your grandmother should move in also, which is another conversation. How we choose to um, live in houses, these big ass houses, and there's only two people in the house. Whole fucking family should be living there. Why are we so spread out? Like, you know what I mean? Like, why do we spread our wealth, our money, our resources in ways that don't allow us to build? Yeah. That don't allow us to take the risks necessary to fully participate in the market. It's mad aspects of the market that we don't even begin to talk to black people about participating in. Right. And now, let me tell you this. So, there's a book called The Half Has Never Been Told. Right. And it's a book about American slavery from an economics perspective. The whole concept of stocks, bonds, all this shit was built off slavery. It was built off the black, the backs of black people. They created like ways to separate themselves psychologically from the knowledge that it was about selling black bodies. They created these like these money on money. Like stocks, future options, all that shit is playing with money. Yeah. It's risk is playing like fucking Russian roulette with money. That's yeah. all that shit is. And 100%. you just got to learn how to ride that shit. It's really a science. It's not fucking magic. You just mm-hmm. got to learn how to ride the fucking system. Mm-hmm. Mad hood people hanging on whatever street right now are capable of doing that shit. They play the numbers every day. They play the numbers every day. All the time. They have a strategy. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're strategic as shit. Mm-hmm. If you taught them how to participate in the market, the market? gave them opportunities to practice, to oh build the skills, because that's what it is, right? Like you can afford to lose money and learn. Or yeah. there's people around you who teach you how to do it and not have to make the same mistakes. That's how you build the knowledge over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't need That's a poverty true. simulator. What I need is a, a fucking self-sufficiency simulator. Yeah. I need black people or whomever. I need poor. Let me not say black people. Take that back. Let me absorb that back into my body. You felt that vibe? That was yeah, like refreshed. All right. Let's reset. So... What if instead of taking wealthy people through this fake ass empathy exercise of like five minutes of struggle, which does not speak to the lived ongoing consistent trauma that is poverty is the looking behind your back is the trying to get them to give something. Exactly. What if instead we took people who needed to know the game and put them on that shit? What if that was the sauce? What if we help people understand how to learn and put them in positions to win and help them figure out their purpose and then leave the rest to God? It's not my job to, like, give you canned foods every day. It's my job to help you figure out how to get that shit for yourself. And maybe you don't even like fucking canned goods. Maybe you like some other shit, but you don't even know because you ain't been given an opportunity to try. To try it, yeah. I think think that, you know, this is an awesome point because that's definitely, like, my approach now Mm -hmm. that I am – 
working with a financial company that helps people do that. Mm -hmm. But I think that I don't want to say black people because white people too, but a lot of people have, I don't know if it's a fear or they don't really like getting professional help. Like they don't yeah. like, Oh, you're a financial advisor. No, I don't want you. Well, they're scared. So (laughs) my money. Mm -hmm. Um, So I like to take the education approach. You know what I mean? Because it's like, listen, like I can, Give you a couple resources. If you don't want to use them, fine. But if you do use them, like, that's great. Like, you better off. You know, you're better off now than where you were before. Mm-hmm. Um, For sure. So that was that was one of my questions that I was going to ask. Like, because we're talking about practical ways to mm-hmm. to um, help people get out of poverty. And I definitely think that some some type of education, you know what I mean, but it obviously can't be forced on people. You know what I mean? Well, education like, to what end? Like, is it education so that then you can increase your employment? Like, so there's the, what's the end goal? What's the, yeah. what's the problem in the system? What's not work? So a system How is a bunch works. of, yeah, like a bunch of elements that mm-hmm. work together to produce an output, right? And right now the output being produced is mad people in poverty. Yeah. And that's not good for anybody for yeah. a million different reasons, right? Mm-hmm. All different, you take that all different veins. So we need a system that produces less people in poverty. Mm-hmm. What needs a change in the system to do that? Well, right now, what does it mean to be poor? It means I don't have enough resources. Mm-hmm. So give me more resources. Right. <laughs> like, that's it's, it's super simple. It's not as complicated in how you're going to do it, right? So one step is education, like giving people the tools necessary to be able to participate in jobs, like job spaces that we know pay high money. Yeah. A lot of money comes into Rochester through the Department of Defense. A lot of money comes into Rochester for R&D projects from the federal government. A lot of money comes into Rochester for optics and all these very specific industries that exist here. We need more black people in tech in Rochester. We need more black people in higher education in Rochester. That's a high industry here. We need more black people in healthcare in all different aspects of healthcare, both administrative and practical. I was going to say, you just... You just hit the three major components yeah. of what Rochester and is. is now. Literally yep. is. But People I think that that's why it's like, it almost seems like it's getting gentrified now because income inequality. N- nobody wants, nobody has those jobs. Like black people don't go to school to be. But like remember when we came techie for a lot, for a lot of a black doctor. folks that have come here, right? Yeah. Like they came and their families had very specific expertise exactly. and were never exposed to these other opportunities. A yeah. lot of the folks who came into Ro- Rochester tends to import a lot of talent, mm-hmm. right? And so they live in a separate rural from the Rochester that's here. Exactly. So there's all these other folks coming from other places to go to RIT, RIT to go wherever those universities have relationships with the businesses. Like that's just the way that it works. When you see black folks get into RIT, get into U of R and are able to permeate them neighbor permeate those relationships and dynamics they do succeed because yeah. they have the access yeah right so the resources are here and i don't think the resources are as um um exclusive as they used to be yeah. i think that like if you can get into that space and be good at what you can do like if that's what you meant to do and you go in there and do it it can work for you yeah. but you got to get access somebody's got to give you the opportunity so in real True. estate um if you buy like a multi-unit property or whatever right you're going to ask about the capitalization rate Right, which is how long is it going to take for me to earn my money back from what I paid for this? Like after all the money it costs to keep it up, right? Like how many years will it take for me to earn? Like or each year, what percentage of what I pay will I get back? Right. Mm-hmm. So it's this whole little formula. Well, what if we thought about humans with that same like capitalization rate, like human potential? Every person starts out with a certain like ability, and how much effort do we have to put into it, or how long is it going to take for us to be able to capitalize on that human's potential? Mm-hmm. Like, have we really actually given 
How many kids that are playing football, basketball, thinking that that's the way they're going to make it, showing up with mad dedication every day, Mm -hmm. being there on time, showing all the necessary skill sets, would probably make a really great pharmacist? All that dedication and motivation. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's 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 like a mad, talented, I don't know, it could be building yachts somewhere in Milan. Like, what if he's... like, it's there. The dedication is there. He's talented, but no one ever, like, lifted that in him or he never had access to somebody who could help him get there. The first person that ever helped me figure out a way into my work was a random white dude that I have never met. Like, I've never met him before. I just sent him an email and was like, hi, I see you're on the um, board for the International Economic Development Council. I don't know you. You live in Connecticut, but I need help. I don't know how to start. Like, I was the first girl in my family to go to college, mm-hmm. right? Like, my parents went to college while we were in school. Like, they really were the legit, like, pull yourself up from your bootstraps. Like, we came from the hood. So when I was going to school, they didn't know how to tell me how to be in college or all these rich-ass white kids. I didn't know how to process that experience that I was having. You know what I mean? But I knew that, like, I knew that there were people that if I asked them, they would answer. So what it took on my end was mad courage, mad faith to lean out into this world. And then, like, I got blessed with people who responded to me. But I shouldn't have to do all that. The C student should be able to eat, too. That's a fact. fact. Like, black people shouldn't have to be fucking extraordinary (laughs) to thrive. Like, I'm on regular regular white people shit, and I had to do mad work to get there. That's very ridiculous. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's quite ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm probably going to pass y'all because, you know what I mean? I see the yeah. God in me. You know what I'm saying? So this ain't forever. But I just feel like I did a lot of work <laughs> to get over here. Just to get here. Yeah, yeah. y'all was chilling. Exactly. Exactly. Where y'all was going to get anyway. Hey. White privilege. Somebody, it was, I forgot the comedian. He was like, white privilege is Magneto walking in the metal just like comes in front of him. It just creates a bridge. That's white oh, that's, privilege. Like you're just walking with no regard. Analogy. Just like great I'm just like you could do nothing exactly and so, end up a doctor. Like so, my freshman year in college, I fell out of school. Wow! And um, it was just a hard time. It was dealing with like realizing this whole world was bigger than me. If mm-hmm. I'm, I wasn't the only smart kid anymore. I got injured in track. It was all these things, right? And I didn't know how to ask for help because I'm so used to having to like figure it all out myself, right? Like one of those kind of things you pick up when you live in impoverished conditions. Like mm-hmm. you know how to get it. Right. Like you become very strategic. Right. So I failed out of college. And a couple of years ago, um, somebody asked me, they were like, yo, who do you think you would have been if you hadn't failed out of college? And I was like, I think I would have been an asshole. And they were like, why? I was like, because I would have thought that you just supposed you just supposed to work hard. I wouldn't have understood that, like, this shit's bigger than that. Yeah. Like and I wouldn't have had humility and like grace for other people. I wouldn't have been able to find like the empathy that I have for other people, like the willingness to like still care about other people. I wouldn't have known that unconditional love for other people if I hadn't experienced like the destruction of myself. If I hadn't gone through the cognitive dissonance and found my way on the other side, I couldn't have been able to love other people. So I think there is something to look forward to on the other side of this work. Like yeah. there's a peace of mind that people need. Yeah. And if we do this work of freeing the mind of people who make decisions, if we do the work of changing the system by changing the people, we can find peace of mind on the other side of that. That's a fact. That's deep. Faculty fact fact. So mm-hmm. I've been writing, I've been jotting down some okay, wait, I gotta make this tidbit. When you said call um when you were talking about light, shedding light instead of sh- um shedding, shedding darkness. darkness. Um, or calling light as opposed to calling darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading a, one of our new students. Well, I'm, I don't work there anymore. But Aww, congratulations, one of our, sorry. Thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, one of the new students, IEP, Individualized um, Education Plan. Mm-hmm. And there's sections in there. And one of them was like student strengths. Mm-hmm. 
student weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Student weaknesses had, oh my goodness, like dash, do 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 dash, do 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 dash, do do do. Student strengths had one dash. Oh my god. And it said student can be kind and thoughtful. Dot or period dot. But student da 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 it was like super negative. And that was it. And I was like, well, how can we possibly how could we possibly so going back to the creating creative tension, like Mm -hmm. we can Mm -hmm. creatively build something. Mm -hmm. Um in IEP meetings you have the, you know the school social workers and the yeah. speech pathologists and all the the help and then you have the teachers mm-hmm. then you have the special education coordinator mm-hmm. director whatever you want to call them I saw and they sit yeah so they sit around the table and they kind of come up with these conclusions mm-hmm. so if you only see darkness in the 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 people in which you service then you will only feed the darkness in the people in which you service which is another um thing that I kind of touched on in my from punitive to restorative PD that I did um, to where if we constant if we constantly um, only see darkness in this sense we're using darkness then we will only respond to darkness we will Mm. only we will only feed that darkness as opposed to if we only see light then we will only feed the light. We won't feed the darkness because there will be no threshold for the darkness. That's the power of manifestation, right? You were talking about that earlier. Like, be the change you want to see. Be the energy you want to create. Like, don't be afraid. And and even in a situation, like, you might come out bruised and battered, but somebody saw you put, you you created something in the room. So I remember the day I decided, I realized you could create love. Like, you could create it out of nothing. So I had, like, this day where I was in all these meetings, just racism on racism, white women yelling at me. Just all sorts of microaggressions. I got that all day, right? Like this is—it's crazy. In Rochester, I leave, yeah, but like oh, a Ro- lot of my work involves me Rochester being young, black, like... and happy, and people being comfortable. So <laughs> right. it's fine. Rochester I don't really is... take it personally. So um, yeah, Rochester's an interesting. They get, place. They're getting there. Yeah, yeah it's... Well, at least huh? I'm noticing it. Ooh. I didn't notice it as much, like maybe a couple years ago, but and I don't know if maybe it was just there. I just wasn't putting myself in a position to see it. But well, a lot of it is that people can now. people can see you, your light. Like people can see that you're like strong, that you're smart, that you're like inquisitive. That like they see the potential and they see what you are now. And so, damn, if you this right now with these skill sets, let you're me gonna be let me this. squish that. No, I'm serious. <laughs> I'm I'm talking to you, right? I'm just like I'm saying it hypothetically, but I'm actually looking at you. And so, I think people can start to see that, and they want it so long as it benefits them. Right. Yeah. But they might not want you to get bigger than them. Yeah. Right. And so there's so that there's resentment. Whole comparison. Yeah. Yes. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of that energy. Right. Um, and especially when it's a black person coming to save themselves or save their own people. Right. There's an insider outsider like, well, uh, well, I can't be in the group because I'm white. Like it's seeing the black person interact with black people and they it's just like getting them. Right. So I got this. Well, big old, I feel that. I feel yeah, that yeah. it's like, oh, because I'm not then I can't, I feel that. So here's the responsibility of us, right? Like of the people that are actually doing the work. Like we got to be the change we want to see too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you see that insecurity, don't poke at it. Mm-hmm. Right. I had a friend where um, I was like, yo, you know what I learned? I learned I can be vulnerable around you because you're not going to hurt me because you care about me. Right. And their response to me was like, yeah. And what I learned about you is to not poke you in your vulnerable spots. And I was like, that's exactly it. <laughs> right? Leave me alone. <laughs> And I will be sensitive around you. I will tell you how I feel about things as long as you don't, you know, be an asshole about them. Um, So I think we have to be very intentional about exhibiting kindness as we let people know that they're fucking up. 
Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yo, this system is broken for you too. It's okay. Come over here to the light. And it's possible. And here's an opportunity to practice it. And here's some things you can start to do. And here's blah, blah, blah. Here's some questions to think. And here's a safe space to do that in. So that's a lot of what our MAPI is, right? It's like creating safe space. It's safe space that to talk about how we're failing, have the conversations, figure out what it is. Everybody say what they did. Like, we got to create that type of space. So that's hard work, man. It's hard when, like, know. you know, a lot of politics, everybody has their fears, right? So yeah. a politician wants to run again. A executive director wants to prove that they deserve to be in that leadership position. A community member wants to see change and doesn't think any of what y'all talking about matters. Like, there's a million different people sitting in these rooms that, like, have all differing opinions. And our responsibility is to manage the conflict of that situation. Because if we don't manage the conflict, then the loudest voice ends up winning and it's usually not the people. Mm-hmm. There you go. So to continue what I was saying. Mm. Um, <laughs> oh, I forgot. My I bad. Came, no, no, you good. Um, <laughs> My bad. I came up with some yeah, practical was. solutions oh. to, um, you know, combating pro- poverty as we talked. I was okay. jotting. Right. Um, obviously, in, in no particular order. Mm-hmm. Um, These are not trademarked, right? So I can take them? Shoot, half of them came from your brain. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it came from the conversation. So self-reflection. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, being able to reflect on self first before you can yep. put on to anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, if I am one with myself and I'm living my truth, as we talked about when we was talking about Nicki Minaj and all these, as we went through the different integrity. scenarios, it was just the integrity. How do you How do you stand in this world? How do you walk through this world and are you trying to portray something else or are you trying to portray the values in which you stand on? Mm-hmm. Um, and then faith-based practices, shedding light only or mm-hmm. kindness love. to, you know, kindness, Still. love. I'm not trying to use all your, your no, principles. I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to use all your principles, but faith-based, faith-based practices, mm-hmm. whatever you choose to have faith in. Um, yeah. Kindness, being kind to one another, not dehumanizing the next person because of whatever. Um, grace. I like, grace. I like, I ain't get the grace yet. <laughs> I, ain't, grace. I ain't, um, I super, super, super like the creating creative tension. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that's what I did in my time at 34 school. Mm-hmm. I tried to create a space to which we talked, but we also bounced off each other to create this space to where we're kind of working together to build something more. But dialogical um, praxis. And that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Say it again. Dialogical praxis. There you go. Dialogical mm-hmm. practice. Praxis. Praxis. P-R-A-X-I-S. Um, praxis is the art but of I, doing. I super, super like that one. Creative, creating that creative tension. And I'm like a creative person, mm-hmm. period. So that's big because the way that we approach things, I was just talking about this with my sister this morning, but the way that we approach things have to be from a creative light mm-hmm. because yeah. if we approach it from... A, a traditional light we tend to fall back into those practices that got us to this point mm-hmm. right. um so we have to start to look and view and attack things from a creative aspect so we can at least hypothesize and and kind of see if it works and if it don't work and what did work and what didn't work and then tweak it so then it works in unison together mm-hmm. um because it's, it's all trial and error as we walk through life. It's trial right. and error. What worked, what didn't work, and it goes back mm-hmm. to that wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're lucky, you got some elders around you to tell you. Oh, my goodness. To Listen to the <laughs> elders. Like community matters. Listen yeah. to the elders. Uh, we talked about that on the show. Three things um, Three things make up community. Elder, adult, child. 
um, to which they all learn from each other. Mm -hmm. There's no specific path. You know what's funny about Kwanzaa, um, just to circle it back, when you read um, Malanga Karenga's book um, that like kind of goes deeper into the principles, each principle has like an ecological perspective. Mm -hmm. So there's self-determination with regard to self, there's with regard to family, there's with regard to community, mm -hmm. right? Like, and then us as like a pan-African people. So there's actually like four levels. Yes. And so in each one, there's like this breakdown of what it actually means. Like, so like unity within yourself, unity within the family, unity within the community, uni unity as a whole pan-African people. So like mm -hmm. see ourselves as one. As one. Yeah. So you go through... Because I've been celebrating Kwanzaa for 25 years now, even yeah. though I ain't get... I grew up celebrating Kwanzaa. It's I like did, you too. don't do Christmas, but you like Kwanzaa. Oh, I, don't, I never... I still... I don't do Christmas to this day. Yeah. Um, But, um, so how you celebrate it is you celebrate... You go through the cycle of family and community first. Mm -hmm. And then, well, the second day is self-reflection, but it's self-reflection in the mix of everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. You helping each other reflect on each other, but... The last day is the day of reflection, so mm. um, or day of meditation, to which you only reflect on yourself in your sacred space. Mm. Yeah. So the last day is not a community family celebration. This is a personal celebration to which you ask yourself the three Kawaita questions: Who am I? Am I all that I say I am? And am I all that I ought to be? Mm -hmm. mm. You remember those from program? No. No. Mo, you say them on time, but um, it's going back to the day of. Uh, meditation mm -hmm. um, and, and that day is faith and that day is faith right? Imani. That day is faith the faith and willingness to dream to think to vision to like that takes courage on the first day of the new year so you kind of redefine yourself going into the new year so like every everything the way that Karinga did it like it's brilliant mm -hmm. and a lot of people lack the the um willingness to see the brilliance as we celebrate it mm -hmm at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's a little side note. So the next one I put was creating stepping stones. So mm -hmm. that goes into the the whole Magneto privilege thing. But instead Wait, of- Wait, before you go into that. Yes. Can I talk about your Kwanzaa point? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so you know how Kuji Shakuli is about like reflection, right? Mm -hmm. So I just want to lift up that like you can celebrate Kwanzaa as like a whole family, right? Which is what we do. You can celebrate it as like a community. So you can go to like community events. Mm -hmm. But even if it's just you and your man, y'all can celebrate it. And I'm going to tell you a very quick story about how I learned about somebody, right? So I do facilitation, right? Yep. So I do like Kwanzaa, Kwanzaa, like, well, like groups, right? So I come home and I'm like, hey, let's do this thing where you have to draw out on a big sheet of paper what your like most important things are. And then you basically create like this wall. So like everyone would put like their three things that matter to them or like, like speak to who they are, right? And then you go around and at first you try and guess what the person is saying. And then you have the person actually tell you what it means. And you like just get this deeper understanding of each other. So anyways, um, he, one of his pictures was something related to him wanting to be happy. And as he was explaining it, it occurred to me, oh, he wants to, he thinks other people make him happy. Mm-hmm. The way he was explaining what he cared about taught me a lot about how he saw the world. Mm. And so even if you're just getting to know somebody, Kwanzaa can be a really interesting time to understand where they're coming from and make some really informed decisions. So if you want to get to know somebody, celebrate Kwanzaa together. Like, for real, for real. <laughs> no, like, for real. Like, celebrate yeah, Kwanzaa together. You will understand. I just spent mad hours and be healthy having a very woke conversation. <laughs> it was mad woke. I have mad tabs of things we Googled. Um, but those conversations are necessary to get to know and build. Yeah. Right? So I just wanted to lift that's it up. Cool. That that's another way you can think about Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa is dope. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, creating stepping stones was the next one. Um, that's something in which I try to practice a lot. And 
my theme of recreating Black Wall Street. Yeah. Um, in the sense of creating a platform for creatives, people, I don't care who you are, people who share the same ideals as me, um, to grow and to have conversations and to, you know, assist each other in creating this wealth, uh, creating a perpetual cycle of wealth, breaking the um, uh, the effects and the stigma and, and all the generational um, effects of poverty and living in, you know, extreme poverty and all that stuff. Um, so creating that, creating those stepping stones um, for us and not for you. So you're not saving somebody from creating this, uh, by creating the stepping stones for them. You're assisting them in getting, you know, reaching that higher level of self. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last one I wrote was humility, empathy, and grace, mm. um, sure. which is all in one. Um, humility, empathy, and grace. Um, yeah, so those are the practical things, solutions that we can start um, as a people. And um, as time goes on, you will start to see it, you know, create a decay on poverty in general. And then we can, you know, fund each other, fund each other's dreams more. We can um together open banks i i want Be to supported. open a bank yeah i literally looked up what like what it costs to open a bank you are going to open nature. a like, bank yeah, I'm, speak it. I'm going to speak it. open a school a, a string of schools That's so you cool. know how like um uncommon schools have mm -hmm. schools here and in, in the city centers. and things of that nature mm -hmm. um that's actually one of my goals to literally open a school you because i've worked right. in the school for the last two years you know and i, I see the power that it can have, especially with the work that I did, but I see the shortcomings of the system mm -hmm. and how it's been implemented time and time again, and yeah. with the budgeting and and the school board and and all these the different question. things. So like, this was just just popped up. It's my random, but like you know the the black colleges like mm -hmm. HSBC schools, mm -hmm. do they only take in black students? Mm -mm. No, no, they don't. Mm -mm. I was curious because mm -hmm. I'm like, if you open a school, would it be racist? It can't be racist, but would it be wrong if you just wanted to educate black kids? No, you just for the sake get of federal funds, probably not. And I think that's where the line gets drawn. Um, but that might not be a relevant point with this administration, they might get rid of that too. But yeah, you're not supposed to not to get federal funds, and I, I mean, not for nothing, um, with geographic location of where you open the school it's gonna um, happen regardless. I, yes you would get a majority of um, students of color but i so umar did does is doing that opening a school for black boys umar johnson dr umar johnson oh God. um the marcus garvey yeah he got the campus and now it's renovations it's the step of renovation it's in connecticut um and there's so being in education there's pros and cons to um you know just opening all boys schools opening all girls schools mm -hmm. opening trying to trying to delegate um having schools just for black people or just for white people whatever the case right so i feel like when we're talking about open schools solely for black people i feel like we kind of in a sense fall back to that that traditional like this is just for us type thing 
when in all actuality, if we just open a school and we control the curriculum, we will get we will influence more. Um, and when we don't try to delegate who can attend the school, who can't attend the school. Our culture is already profitable. Our culture, they already want to learn our culture, mimic our culture, all that stuff. So if we create a school and we create a, a space to where it's all loving and everybody is in, included, yeah. then we tend, to, now we're knocking down a whole bunch of things of um, like these teachers, future educators that don't understand the youth in which they service. We're knocking right. that down because now the education is rooted in, in, in yeah. That these practices, self-reflection, faith-based practices, well, creative. There's a, all of that lives in black culture. Right. Right. That like just teach a school rooted in our culture. Like just teach the culture. And That's every it's going to naturally attract everybody. So yeah. Yeah. I don't. Because it's real. I, I've in my journey, I've said, oh, yeah, I want to open an all black school or I want to do this. or I want to do that. But as I grow, um. I tend to, to start to lean towards it doesn't matter who comes because there's a lot of wh- kids they don't know they right don't from care. wrong they don't yeah. care they, they as long as they exactly show up right. as long as they show up I mean like and it's you important can to see people I mean I'd rather just yourself. people just teach the truth mm-hmm. you know what I mean like I yeah it might suck being white and being like oh and a lot of the kids that's what happened. <laughs> A lot of the kids operate in a space of ignorance mm-hmm. because their that's parents because operate exactly. in a space of ignorance. So it's like breaking that. Yeah. Breaking that. Like that taking cycle. the blindfold off. That yeah. cycle. So like, nah, this is what it really is. Um, real quick before we end the show, my first year working at 34 school, I had a white, um, a white boy called two of the black boys a nigger mm. in gym. And so... This is a few months into school, so I'm still relatively new. Um, and, you know, I interact with everybody, but this was my first major interaction with this white kid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm talking to him. And I've always preached at my school, if I become unearthed at any point, then I cannot, I can no longer do my job. Mm-hmm. So I have to stay leveled all the time because then I can um, – successfully articulate what it is that you need to know mm-hmm. so we can grow past this point. I can't, I'm not teaching you past this point. I'm, we're going to grow through this. Mm-hmm. So I have to learn from you. You have to learn from me. Ubuntu. I am what you are. You know what I'm saying? So anyways, um, so basically long story short, the, the kid says that he learned the term from roots. Okay, cool. Well, when were you watching Roots or what did I? Well, me and my mom watches it all the time. So I'm like, okay, well, do you have a conversation mm-hmm. about this after y'all watch it? Like or, yeah, I'm like, angry. yeah, I'm like, well, what, you know, are y'all watching this for fun? Like, what, <laughs> what is it that y'all, you know, you think they're supposed to watch it during Black History Month? Yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, February to watch Roots. So, and that's yeah, it. So <laughs> basically, he was just like, nah, we just watch it and then that's that. So then Multiple I'm like, times? like, I'm like, that's, they, like that's the favorite movie, right? That's their Saturday I, afternoon. <laughs> it's so, just on in the background. Yeah. So, that's you know, crazy. I'm, we're talking and then, um, then he eventually, he's like, I was like, well, what does being a nigger mean to you? Like what, when you called him that, what, what, what were you what, trying what to were say? You trying to say? And, they, and he basically told me they were acting the way that they were acting in the movie. But so why? I called them a nigger. So then it goes into that that process of, okay, well, 
he's operating from a space of ignorance and mm -hmm. they watch this movie. Mm -hmm. So when we watch those movies, we have conversations. Right. Like it's some type of conversation gonna follow watching any of those movies. This is just naturally in us yeah. as a people. For them, Yo, that's crazy. Yeah, for white dialogue, people, it's like right? they it's engage in dialogue. Yeah, they watch these things, and then it's just okay, cool. It's like entertainment to them. Like this, they literally watch it for entertainment. We watch it for knowledge. We. But part of it is that they. It's they also how you see yourself in it. What mm -hmm. did you yeah. see yourself as? Mm -hmm. And who did you see yourself in? Right. There's all those like we see pain on bodies that look like ours and a story about people that we're supposed to come from. Yeah. It lands differently on us and requires a different type of restoration. Mm -hmm. If you're just watching an act of violence on someone that you don't see is similar to yourself, if you don't practice Ubuntu, if that's not what you're built on, then you're just looking at some shit. Right. And you become desensitized to watching violence on that body. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I want to just tell that story because... It's he like one of those. Like they was acting like them. What so he had a pre-set a schema. Yeah, mm -hmm. that they call them schemas. Mm -hmm. So Until something else comes along and mm -hmm. and kind of recreates the thing. The practice to try new things. Which is why I feel like if we have more black creative spaces, black educational spaces. Um, or to which sometimes we, just go outside and talk to people. That's another Sometimes thing. it ain't about physical buildings. I mean, look, every day I walk down Wall Street on my way to work, and I have made mad friends with the young men who find themselves there when I both leave my house and come back, right? And so <laughs> doing whatever it is that they're up to. So when I'm walking by, you know, I stop sometimes and ask the question, like, yo, if y'all could work anywhere, do anything, what would you want to do? Like, what would you be interested in? And, you know, one dude says, well, you know, I want to do, like, welding. I'm like, yo, that makes mad sense. That's mad money. Like, let me see if I know somebody that does welding. I'll get back to you. Like, sometimes it's really just taking an interest in people on the block. People. Like, you don't got to go. You don't got to create a building for them to come to. Like, God is everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't just have church in a church. Yeah. Like, you can have it any place. You can have praise yep. and worship any place. Like, honestly, like, let's make it real simple. The first thing you need to do, the first solution is everybody needs to know their purpose. Mm -hmm. And then live in that. Your only mm -hmm. responsibility is to live in your purpose. God created you to do a very specific thing. Out of all the little spermies that were all making their way to where they was trying to get to, yours is the one that made it. God had a whole list, and he was like, all right, this one, this what they can produce? Yes, I want that. So you had a validated you had a validated purpose. The <laughs> second, like before your parents even looked each other in the guy in the eye, God had a plan for you. Yeah. Who are you to not right. live in what God has created you to do? Who are you right. to not have the faith in God who so graced you with his grace to continue to live even though your imperfect ass is fucking up every other day? Facts. So the least you could do is thank facts, God by facts, living in your facts. purpose. So live in your purpose. And in doing that, do it with kindness and consideration for other people because they are opportunities for you to live in your purpose. Yeah. Like, be the if you're going to be the trumpet, be the trumpet, be the symbol, be the symbol. Like, be who you are in praise of God. Yeah. That's the and word. Except it's everybody not money. else, like you said. Yep. Everybody is a part of the body. Mm -hmm. And who am I to say? Something else, some clothes, I don't some need money, some things. It's about <laughs> doing the work of worshiping the thing that created you. Yeah. Create. God created you to create. Mm. Well, with that being said, it's time to end the show. So, y'all already know. Bring another set of ears for next week's show. This is Royal Flex the Brand's introspective insight talk show. I am King Devdo. Takia. Haley. See y'all next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Uh, uh, introspect. Uh, uh, tip inside. Hope you come back next week.
come back next week.